This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I'm Emily Fox. Today on the show, we're going to talk to musicians who have gotten creative with bringing their music to a different audience amid the coronavirus. We'll hear from Death Cab for Cuties, Ben Gibbard, about his live-from-home online concert series he's been doing since mid-March. That was, of course, to be expected, that no one would clap in my little studio, but it still was strange to be going through the motions of a version of what I have been doing for 22-plus years and to not have the same reaction from an audience. And we'll hear from a tenor from the Seattle Opera who's singing arias to his neighbors weekdays from his front lawn. First, Deep Sea Diver. The Seattle-based band has been streaming live performances every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Instagram Live for the past month and a half. But rather than performing a few songs and calling it good, Deep Sea Diver is doing things they'd never be able to do at a live show and connecting with fans and collaborating musically with fans in a whole new way. Jessica Dobson of Deep Sea Diver joins me now to talk about the streams. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Emily? Good. So first off, I have to say your live streams have been incredibly entertaining. You and your husband and bandmate Peter have different segments of the show where each week you build a fort in your house. And that's where you go for the segment where you answer questions from fans. You occasionally invite on guests to join you remotely. You do karaoke. You have your segment where you perform live. Sometimes you even perform in your touring van. But there's another segment that I want to talk about. And that's where you do this musical collaboration with fans. And it's called Stay Home Stem. First, describe what a stem is. It's a bounced audio file. So like I recorded a guitar and I exported that out of Logic. And then I put it in Dropbox for anybody to download into their recording system so they can chop those stems up. They can reverse them. They can speed them up, slow them down. They can put them in only one section of the song. So the only like thing we ask is just use one thing out of that folder, one stem. And sometimes we only have one stem. Sometimes it's just a beat. Sometimes it's me on guitar. Sometimes we have synth parts, but um, it's different every week. So let's play some examples of this Stay at Home Stems project. So on week one, you provided this drum beat. And here were some of the songs fans wrote based on that beat. So you have instrumental tracks, like one called Grenadian Crease. Or this one called It's No Miracle. had one fan create a song with vocals like in this track new pair of pants So in your first three weeks of doing this project, you saw 200 STEM submissions from fans. So what is that like to hear all these new songs that you helped generate with fans? I was 
fascinated. Peter and I were floored by how different every song was. Because, you know, we're not giving any, like, besides a beat, we're not giving any tonal references or telling people, we're not telling people what to do whatsoever. Like, we gave them all the freedom in the world to say, if this is just something you want to jam over and write a guitar solo that's 10 seconds long, do that. If you feel like composing a string, you know, orchestra section over it, do that. Make a rock song out of it. Make that, like, do whatever you want that's going to be life-giving to you. And so as we started getting these songs in from around the world, which blew my mind too, um, I think the one, one of the ones you're featuring is from New Zealand, um, New Pair of Pants, I believe. We got submissions from Colombia, Chile, uh, the UK, like, and they all had such different vibes to them. And so I like, I was fascinated and blown away. You actually use some of your own stems to write a single and it's called Stop Pretending. talk a little bit more about how you wrote this song and what this song is about? Absolutely. So as we started getting submissions in, like uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday morning came around and I hadn't tried to write anything to the beat yet. And we were so inspired by everyone else sending in their songs. And I was just like, what? Like, we have to play our own game. We're the ones asking people to participate if they want to. And like that would be weird if Peter and I didn't try to write a song to the beat. And so I tried, I kind of banged my head against the wall for like six, seven hours. I was really hyper-focused on this song that I had started writing on our last tour that we went on in February, March. I really only written it in my head, but it felt like it was going to fit over this beat that Peter recorded. And it just, after seven hours, it's the worst. I was just like, this doesn't work. And I was kind of like trying to strangle it to death. And so I went on a walk, which is one of the luxuries that, you know, all of us have like (laughs) to reset ourselves from, you know, we're staying home all day and it's so life giving to just to go on a walk, walk around the block. And I came back and some new chords came and I was just like, you know what? One of my favorite things is writing about, uh, granted, I've never been in a pandemic before or anything that's remotely apocalyptic feeling, but I have lived in that lyrical world for a while. I've always loved writing about disarray, and but this time it felt different. It was painful to think about the disarray and the pain people were feeling and death and all that, and I, I just felt like I wanted to write a song that had a glimmer of hope, like just kind of calling a spade a spade. This is a terrible situation for the world. And what beauty can come out of it? That was my question in my head. And so Stop Pretending came to be because of that.
This live stream thing is new for Deep Sea Diver. Do you think live streams could ever replace their traditional show or become monetized in a way where it could replace that live in-person performance? It's a great question. I don't think it can replace in the flesh, in person, in a room together with people. It's a different, there's a different spirit to that. You know, when you're doing a live stream, you're talking to a screen, like even, you know, with late night shows, because we've tried to, Conan O'Brien is like, uh, really set the bar for us in terms of like, okay, let's kind of treat this like a late night show, like different segments. And, and, and he's so good with people, but he has an audience in there, you know, and there's something to feed off of. And that is so, like for artists who love performing, that's everything. And so it crushes me that like, I can't reach out and touch someone's hand or see people's expressions. And so it is very different. And I don't think I would ever want this to become, you know, when we started, we start touring again, I wouldn't want this. I don't think I'll stop doing it, but I, I, I wouldn't like treat it as equally as important or, or try to do it every week, you know, but I think it's still such a beautiful way to connect with people. Um, but I, it, yeah, I would look different, but I don't think you can replace like I, I already miss it so much and I'm so glad we got to tour the last like six months, but can't wait to get back. You've been working on an album recently. Has all of this delayed the release of the record or make you think differently of when you're going to release the album? Yes, it has delayed things or uh, muddied the waters <laughs> in terms of what what now, kind of that big question. And I think we're going to see this, us included, over the next few months. A lot of people are going to hold on to their records and wait, wait it out. Some people are going to just release it and see what happens. And we're in the middle of making those decisions right now uh, because it seems so backwards to to release a record and not tour on it because that's how you get people to know about you. And uh, word of mouth is the biggest asset you can have as a band Um, when people are excited they love talking about your music and and bringing people to shows, and so it's a balancing act of wh- when is it worth it. And but the the world needs art right now, and so we're asking those questions right now. And and I I cannot wait to put this record out. That was my conversation with Jessica Dobson of Deep Sea Diver. You can check out Deep Sea Diver's live stream on Instagram Live each Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific. And you can learn more about the Stay Home STEMS project and participate at thedeepseadiver.com. This is Sound and Vision. As many artists take their music online during the coronavirus, we'll now hear from someone who is taking his voice from the stage to his front yard. Since early April, Stephen Wall has been spending most weekday afternoons singing opera arias to his neighbors in Seattle's Ballard neighborhood. KEXP's Hans Anderson talked to the tenor about what led him to the unusual tradition. A few minutes before 5 p.m., neighbors come out of their homes and sit on their porches. People walking their dogs find some space, six feet away from others, of course, and take a seat on nearby lawns. Families pushing strollers stop and wait. A car pulls up and rolls down their window. I haven't seen it from this angle. <laughs> They're all here to see Stephen Wall. Hi, this is Stephen Wall. I grew up on the East Coast, moved to Seattle in 1980. I began performing with Seattle Opera in 1981. The opera we would be doing now would be my 100th production, but of course we are shuttered for the time being. And 
next year would be would be my 40th year with them. Wall has a small soundboard and speaker set up in his front yard. He does a quick sound check, then walks up to the mic and introduces his first song. George Frederick Handel's Sound and Alarm. This is Wall's 12th performance on his lawn. The ritual was inspired by coincidence, mostly. Over the last month or so, Wall had been giving vocal lessons online, mostly from a dark room. So one sunny day, he went outside to practice jazz on the string bass, an activity that he describes as, well, I'll let him say it. On jazz bass, I'm what you'd call low intermediate, so I need to practice a lot. Wall assumed no one in his neighborhood would mind him playing. It was relatively quiet. And I I found that exactly the opposite ended up happening in that everybody who walked by stopped and would start a conversation. People riding by on bikes were giving like a big thumbs up. Cool jazz, man. Yeah, go. And I was like, this is interesting and frankly, not exactly typical Seattle. Which got Wall thinking. Then came a little more inspiration. On the evening news, when Italy was very much in the headlines... I saw a guy in Naples, Italy, singing the Nessun Dorma on his balcony of his apartment with an accompaniment track. And everyone's going, oh, bravo, Rinconcenza mio, bravo, Mario, so come by, you know. And I was like, oh, all right, that's interesting and cool, too. And those two ideas of doing this music outside... And not the jazz, which I'm less accomplished at than I am opera. Uh, and, and so suddenly it morphed into, instead of jazz and being innocuous, let's take a bigger speaker out there and do some in-your-face in opera. And unless people start throwing stuff or the cops arrive with cease and desist, we'll see where it goes from there. Neither of which have happened yet. The only negative review I saw wasn't even from a neighbor. Instead, it came from a car that was trying to get people out of the street. When you ask Wall why the overwhelmingly positive feedback from the neighborhood? People are yearning for anything that sort of takes them towards, well, it's a reminder of the old normal maybe, but it takes us towards a new version of normal, whatever that's going to be. Because I feel acutely aware that we're not going to be the same emerging from this. And let's, let's hope that it's for the greater good eventually, ultimately. Next, we're going to go to Venice. Musically, we're going to fast forward about 125 years to the opera... Wall introduces each song and puts a surprising amount of thought and care into his performances. He reads the room, so to speak. He stopped singing songs that are more upbeat. He finds that most people like that, as he says it, gravitas. He's also an opera advocate and hopes that his performances bring new music to people. If people hear opera and they're interested in it, I mean, what what are available in terms of resources online? So if somebody writes down Nessun Dorma, N-E-S-S-U-N, new word, D-O-R-M-A, plug it into YouTube and go look at different versions of it and say, I like that, I don't like that. Why do I like this? Start to have an opinion. You know, make classical music part of your vocabulary. Wall ends each of his performances with that aria, Nessun Dorma, the song he saw on the news sung in Naples, the song that inspired him to begin singing on his front lawn. 
This night's performance on Tuesday, April 21st, occurred at the same time as an address by Governor Jay Inslee, one where the governor presented a roadmap to opening up the state, but also acknowledged it will be some time before this happens. This limbo that we're in will continue, and planning performances helps while manage the days at home. What I was doing before is, you know, I was, uh, I'd be reading too much news. I'd be looking at the stock market too often. And, and now, besides doing my Zoom lessons, I'm not using my spare hours to do those kinds of things. But I'm rather I'm thinking about, gee, this song really went over great at yesterday's concert. What sort of is like that that I could maybe do? You know, I'm, I'm developing this show. of the performance, a few neighbors came up and talked to Wall from the sidewalk. People walked their dogs back home, and everyone shared a single experience. For KEXP, I'm Hans Anderson. This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie was one of the first big-named artists to perform his music online because of the coronavirus. Starting on March 17th, Ben Gibbard started his Live From Home concerts. He did it every day for the rest of March and is now continuing the series Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific. He joins me now to talk about the coronavirus and music. Hello, Ben. Hello, how are you, Emily? Good. So good to hear from you. So, you know, moving, going back to March, when when all of this really started happening, you know, here in Seattle, what was going through your mind before you committed to streaming live from your home? Well, I think like a lot of people there, we we all have had our own individual, you know, come to Jesus moments with this, where we've all, all realized how serious it was. And, you know, three or four days before Washington State was locked down. My wife and I were in a restaurant talking to our friends, being like, well, this is crazy, right? I mean, I can't believe this coronavirus, you know, and then within the course of two or three days, all of a sudden, everybody was, you know, quarantined in their homes. And, and I suppose the, the idea to do some live streams was stemmed out of a conversation with me and my manager, Jordan Curland. And for whatever reason, I decided just to commit to doing them every day for, I guess it was two weeks or so. And I suppose maybe in my, I don't know if ignorance is the right word, but wishful thinking or lack of understanding about how long we would be living like this, uh, I felt two weeks would be good because probably after two weeks, we'd be able to kind of get back to some semblance of normalcy. Uh, how wrong I was and anyone else who thought that way. And then I just moved to once a week because I have some other kind of creative projects and stuff that I, I need to be working on. But um, it's it's been really enjoyable for me to do. And it seems that people are, are enjoying it as well. So that's that's kind of that was the idea. And what has it been like, you know, you've you've spent decades kind of touring that traditional way. And so what has it been like to connect with fans that you can't see? You know, you've got a bunch of comments coming through the thread. But what has it been like to transition? Does it feel different? I'm sure it does to just perform online versus being on that stage. 
Well, this is something that young people have been doing now for a decade plus, right? I mean, I have I have friends and know people who do shows on YouTube or on similar formats all the time, and they, you know, they're you know speaking into a webcam and answering questions and communicating with people in a chat room. This is not a new thing, but it was certainly a new thing for me. So the first day or two that I was doing it, it I felt like a like a 15 year old kid or something like that. You know, I just I, I, I didn't really I mean, I didn't feel like a 15 year old kid. I felt like I was I was ill prepared to do what 15 year olds were probably doing all, already all the time. Um, and it was it was slightly nerve wracking because I didn't really know how to act as a performer performing to an audience that wasn't physically in front of me. So you know, usually, you know, I for 22 years plus, whenever I've finished playing a song, if there's been anybody in the audience, they've clapped for that song. Even, even you know, even some of the, the worst shows, there's at least a little bit of polite <laughs> applause. And um, and so that that was that was, of course, to be expected that no one would clap in my little studio. But it still was strange to be going through the motions of what a version of what I have been doing for 22 plus years and to not have the same reaction from an audience, even though certainly in those early shows when it was brand new, you know, the audiences could fill up key arena there were 20,000 people watching or whatever. And that was weird to think about too, that there are that many people watching this on their phones or their laptops or their iPads or whatever, or on the TVs, whatever it might be. So, uh, it's been an enjoyable experience. I, I hope this comes out the right way that I wish I didn't have to do it. I would much rather be performing in front of people who are physically there, as I'm sure the people who are watching me would probably rather be seeing me on a stage with their friends, you know, um, going out to dinner beforehand and maybe having a drink or two. But this is, this is our reality right now. And I, I, it's been really inspiring through all, through all of the horrific elements of this. It's been inspiring to see how people have pivoted and been create, creative in their pivots to do what they normally do, but augment it for this new reality. Yeah. On Sound and Vision, we actually recently talked about, you know, your your project, the Postal Service. Um, and, and we talked about, you know, how the name the Postal Service was kind of named after the fact that you made it with others, you know, that were remote, you know, you were sending, you know, dat tapes um, back and forth to collaborate. And so I'm just thinking about, you know, us being in social isolation right now with the coronavirus, like, have you had to, you know, go back to this idea of collaborating with people remotely? Um, or have you seen others having to come up with different ways to collaborate remotely now that we can't, you know, be in the same spaces together? I'm not quite sure that the technology is is there, at least if it is there, I don't have it, for us to have band practice or something, you know? It's difficult for us as a band, and I'm sure a lot of bands, to so much of the creative process and so much of collaboration has to, for me at least, has to occur in, in a room where you're listening to somebody play and you're able to have a conversation and there's not glitches and latency and, and things like that. So I, I'm not sure if it's been a great time for collaboration per se, but I think what it, it has been so far a pretty interesting time of reflection, self-reflection, and also uh, reflection on you know, wh- who we want to collectively be when we leave this. This is an opportunity for us all 
to ask ourselves if this is, you know, if there's anything we want to change about the world we live in. And I know that's kind of a kumbaya thing to say, but in my lifetime, there's never been a moment like this where if we so chose, we could make some decisions about how we want to change how we live our lives. And that doesn't have to be, we're all going to start driving electric cars tomorrow. It can be, you know what? I And my wife and I have realized this. Like we really like cooking at home. We go out way too much. And you know, th- these are small things. They, they, they span from a very small thing like cooking at home more to uh, maybe we don't need to be all be driving to work every day, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I thinking about, yeah, just how this whole virus and, and stay at home orders is going to impact us overall. I mean, I think about, you know, you recently wrote the song Life in Quarantine and in it you reflect on how Seattle kind of feels like, as you say, Christmas when nobody's around, when our city was still a secret before those carpetbaggers came to town. When our city was still a secret before those carpetbaggers came to town. And you've written about, you know, Seattle's gentrification before in your song Gold Rush. Digging for gold in my neighborhood Where all the old buildings stood They keep digging down and down So that the cars can live underground They're swinging on the wrecking ball Through these laughing plaster walls It's letting all the shadows free The ones I wish still followed me And so I'm just curious, like, how do you think this will ultimately impact Seattle once it's all, this is all over? What would you like to see, you know, Seattle change after all of this? I haven't given it too much thought. I do feel that when we, if, well, we will, let's just say when we do, when we, when we get back to the hustle and bustle of people going to work and going into offices and doing things that they did before the middle of March. I think that one of the things, one of the issues we're looking at in the city is that the West Seattle Bridge now doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's possible that the bridge below it might not exist. <laughs> there are already some massive hindrances hindrances to how we've moved around this city. And public transportation in Seattle wasn't great to begin with. You know, it seems with the, you know, as the light rail is starting to slowly expand into the outer borough, so to speak, and is so popular that that is that is getting people out of their cars that otherwise probably would would have been driving. But I I I what I'm hoping what I'm hoping will come out of this at least how it pertains to Seattle is that I think we'll all realize that we all people a lot of my friends who uh, who are working remotely now have come to the realization that it's not important to be in an office every day. It's not it's not that important to be driving in somewhere or you know, clogging buses and, and uh, public transportation if you do a job that can be done virtually remotely a lot of the time. And I, I, I would just hope that we realize that so much of what we do does not require the amount of transportation that we uh, have, have deemed it to require. Yeah. And what do you think about, you know, how this will impact the music industry? You know, we're seeing some reports that, you know, maybe concerts won't come back until, you know, next year. And, you know, just checking in on, you know, all of our our independent music venues here in Seattle. A lot of them are saying, you know, really, we only had like eight of nine weeks to be closed before we have to close permanently, you know, and and May 4th, you know, is going to be kind of that eight week mark. And so, you know, whether that be looking at, 
Seattle's music industry or just the music industry as a whole? How do you think this might change, you know, how we do music, how we make music or what it what it looks like? If we decided to open music venues tomorrow, um, it wouldn't be so much that we would be endangering people and in so much as it would be people would just not want to go. I think it's important to remember why the shelter in place ordinances were put into the place in, in the in the first place. And they were done to uh, lessen the load on hospitals and medical personnel based on the amount of materials they had, the uh, safety materials, respirators, everything else, right? That, that was why we did this. And I am uh, in line to get antibody testing this week through the University of Washington. I'm fairly certain I had this at the end of February, and it sucked. It was horrible. But I think that if we, we simply cannot sit around in our homes waiting for a vaccine, um, we, we can't do it. People, people aren't, people aren't going to do it. And for me, as I look at how it pertains to um, clubs and bars and, and what I do for a living, you know, we have, we have postponed shows into the fall. Whether or not those shows happen or not, I have no way of knowing. But it's all going to hinge on people's comfort levels being out in public. And, you know, we're going to have, there's going to have to be some, as Inslee said, there's going to be some kind of like, there's going to be a faucet. We kind of turn it up, we, you know, like a dial. We dial it up, we dial it back down. Uh, because people are going to have to start um, returning to, you know, people are going to have to start being in public again. People have to start doing stuff and going to work. And uh, and we just can't live in our homes for the next two years waiting for a vaccine. And I by no means have the answers to this. But I do think that as it pertains to the music community, my prediction is that we're going to see some venues open up at reduced capacity. There are going to be a number of um, very strict rules of play. And I, when that happens, I have no idea. But it, it's it's going to be weird. It, things are going to be really weird for a really long time. And it's a lot of it's going to hinge on once the, the state opens back up in some capacity, whether or not people feel comfortable being out in public, uh, whether or not people want to go and risk it. Uh, but I, I, I just have this feeling that we're, we're going to hit this point where people are just going to start just being like, whatever, man, I just want to go out. I just want to do something. I, I, and I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I just think it's going to be the reality of the situation we're going to find. Yeah. I'm speaking with Ben Gibbard about his Live From Home series. So, you know, going back to, you know, this YouTube series where you've been performing live, um, you know, at your house during every performance, um, you're asking folks not to donate to you or your band, but to local charities or organizations. So, you know, you've, you've had people donate to local food banks or to local hospital workers or to organizations that help the homeless and arts organizations. So why has it been important to you, you know, through this um, Live From Home series to donate back to the community? Well, I, you know, I am in a position where I am able to weather this pause better than the overwhelming majority of people. You know, I've had a very successful career as a musician and I'm able to wait it out, you know, in a way that other people aren't able to. So, you know, while our band is, of course, losing income because of the shows this year that we've had to postpone or move or maybe eventually cancel, who knows? I had a whole solo tour book that was pushed to the fall and I certainly hope will happen, but I, I'm not holding my breath. 
I felt that I had a moral obligation, and I think anybody in my situation would have one in this in this unprecedented time to do whatever was in their power to help people who were on the front lines of this, who were the most vulnerable in the wake of um, uh, this virus shutting the city down. And uh, while I, I have friends who uh, are musicians who are doing shows that are, you know, kind of donations to the artists, and I think that is, uh, it's, it, you know, I think that's a completely acceptable and justifiable position if one feels that that is what they need to do to put food on their children's tables, you know, or to pay the rent or whatever, it's like, absolutely, go for it, by all means. But that's not something that at this particular juncture, I, I, it w- was necessary for me. So I felt the right thing to do would be to turn this around and have this be a series of benefit shows for different organizations, some of which uh, the overwhelming majority of which I have been a supporter of for some time, and then others have have come to me via friends or social media, whatever, and and kind of raised their hands, and I've been like, yeah, that that's a great organization. So it just this is an easy thing for me to do from my house. You know, I just do it on my laptop, and it's been r- pretty amazing to see not only the response to the shows, but more importantly that people have been very generous. People seem to really want to help out now. And people really want to do something for their fellow human beings. And I think that while people want to do that, it is imperative that we, we do, the, do what we can to take care of the less fortunate, whoever, whomever they may be. Yeah. Well, my final question for you. So now we're in week six of this, you know, live from home series. How much longer do you continue this? And, and what can we look forward to in the weeks ahead? I'm just kind of going week to week from now. So I, I, yeah, every, you know, some of the shows are kind of standard shows, play some requests and answer some questions. And then I'll kind of come up with the idea of like, oh, maybe today's all covers or, you know, this one's all on piano or whatever it might be. Um, but I think like everyone, we're all just kind of living day to day and week to week, so to speak. And I, I, I don't, I don't have a, an end date on this yet. I, I, I there, at some point these shows will, end. And I, I would love that to kind of coincide with people returning to some semblance of the life they led before this. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, oh, Numos is open now, so I don't need to play on the internet anymore. Uh, it's just more so that people have other options and ways to spend their time than sitting inside looking at a, at a screen watching somebody play music, you know? So the you know, I, it's I, I'll just it'll kind of it's a TBD at this point. I don't I don't have any grand grandiose plans for the upcoming shows quite yet. But um, you know, the longer this goes on, I might have to get a little more creative. So yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much um, for chatting today and for sharing your music and and for giving back uh, to the Seattle community. I've been speaking with Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie about coronavirus and music. You can stream his live from home concert series every Thursday at 4 p.m. Ben, thanks again so much for chatting today. Of course, yeah, it was nice talking to you. The sidewalks are empty. The bars and cafes too. Streetlights only changing Cause they ain't got nothing better to do You say it's like Christmas 
when nobody's around When our city was still a secret Before those carpetbaggers came to town And the airports and train stations Were full of desperate people Trying to convince the gate agents That not all emergencies are equal But no one is going anywhere soon This is Sound and Vision. Coronavirus has been a big theme of the music requests KEXP DJs have seen this past month. So I gathered some of our favorite notes we've gotten from listeners to our DJ request email relating to coronavirus and music. Here are just a few. Hi, all. This is Jaron from Washington, D.C. I'm about halfway through another tough week working for the government on COVID-19 response. And uh, I'm reminded, after frequent bouts of hair-pulling frustration, of simply how awesome people are. I've seen so many people do their absolute best, which has resulted in tangible and possibly life-saving changes, all amidst this dumpster fire we've got going on here. Sometimes I really need this reminder that we're all destined for greatness. All we have to do is put ourselves out there. It can be hard to remember that these days. I'm requesting Ready to Rock by Odyssey. It always pumps me up and reminds me that, yes, I can do this. We can all do this. I may or may not rock out to this in my pajamas amidst uh, concerned looks from my dog. Thanks for being awesome, KXP. I will continue to amplify my part of the plan. It be cliche to say greatness, but hey, this is what I learned. Which you why you can't escape from. So embrace it. Don't run away from being that visit in that early day equation. The steady glitch and it's in for limits to bring enough. It can get in your way if what you deliver is great. Mm. Then we dive back to greatness. I think I discovered what my place is. In third your space is. It's me doing me over time. Other rhymes. It's a butterfly fact that affects me. Hi, I'm Jason from Madison, Wisconsin. So my nine-year-old Liam is really into WWE wrestling lately. During these quarantine times, it has been nonstop and to the point where my wife and I have had to put some boundaries on it as a way to dial it back. As a result, he wrote us a letter stating why it is unfair that he can't play WWE whenever he wants. Reason number two was, and I quote, like Prince once said, life is just a party and parties weren't meant to last. So why not cash it in now and have some fun? After, of course, laughing for quite a while with my wife about having a nine-year-old quote Prince to make a point to his parents, she and I put together a list of things for him to do every day. And once he's completed his tasks, he has the green light to play with his WWE guys as much as he wants. Love that kid so much. These crazy times can bring joy and laughter into our lives in ways that I couldn't have imagined before. If you could play 1999 for him today, that would be fantastic. Thank you. This is Michelle in Chicago. 
I've been listening to KEXP each day from the confines of my mom's senior living community, where I'm apparently their youngest resident by 20 plus years. I moved her in on March 11th when things seemed tenuous, but still okay. I drove her from Houston to the suburbs of Chicago with the expectation that I'd finally be able to go home after almost a year away. My dad passed away in September after a long and awful illness, and leaving her there was never an option for me. How could I say, you are not alone, when in fact I knew she would have been? As I worked to get her settled, our lockdown orders here came, and now if I leave the building, I will not be allowed back in. So, I've been keeping a low profile and not even stepping outside the door of her 700-square-foot apartment for fear of upsetting other residents who haven't seen their own families in over a month. Each morning, I log on to KEXP to try to start my workday from the kitchen table. So many of these songs make me cry, make me think about how we as a society got to this point, and make me nostalgic for the days when I could have lived my life differently. Basically, a lot of heavy stuff. So when I was thinking about a request, I wanted the exact opposite of the heavy stuff. I wanted something I could legit jump around to with my headphones on in this tiny apartment before my mom gets up. And what better song than Cold Light by Operators. I hope you can give that one a spin. Thank you, KEXP, for everything you do. That was Sound and Vision. Before we go, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you have the means, please consider giving a one-time $20 donation to kexp.org slash sound. I now leave you with the final question of the show. Why does music matter? Here's Jessica Dobson of Deep Sea Diver. Music matters because sometimes you don't have the words for what you're feeling and you just need to put on a song. You just need to spin some vinyl. Music matters because it helps you understand what you're feeling. And uh, it gets into your subconscious. And the word connectedness comes back again because it connects you to others. When you're excited about something, you tell somebody else. And you have that bond of knowing about that band or that song. Or you remember a season because of what you were listening to. And I think music slows you down. Uh, in a good way. And I think especially now because we're all at home and we're actually absorbing music in a different way, in a way that I really love. I love, love, love sitting with records and not having Spotify, but playing vinyl and really sitting and listening. And so that's why it matters to me. (laughs) 